we are called into the culture of the kingdom. And as we talk about what the culture of Jesus is, we're really trying to define what is the culture we're trying to build or that we have built here at the mountain. Because we want this to be a Jesus church. We want this to be a church that exudes the culture that Jesus exuded, the culture that Jesus brought, the culture that Jesus taught. And as I was praying over this and as I was um, just seeking God's heart on the matter of what sort of culture did Jesus operate in, the biggest thing that kept coming and stepping out to me was humility. Jesus engendered, he created, he fostered, and he walked in a culture of humility. And I want to look at that a little bit more closely today. And I think uh, sometimes humility isn't that attractive because we misunderstand the true definition of what humility looks like. Uh, Sometimes humility looks like chasing people with whips and flipping over tables. And we'll look at that a little bit more closely as we go through our time here today. But I wanted to start in Romans chapter 12. The Apostle Paul, as he's writing the epistle to the Romans, he gives a picture in Romans 12 of what I believe the Christian heart of humility looks like. And uh, so we're just going to go through, starting in verse 1, we're going we're gonna to read a whole chapter of the Bible, kids. I hope you're ready for church today. <laughs> he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I'm going to pause there just for a moment. And I want you to think about that. This verse, a lot of us will read that verse, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And we think, okay, don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Don't be boastful. uh, Don't, you know, put yourself up above others. But a lot of times people will hear that verse and they think, unless I'm low, I'm thinking of myself too highly. In other words, anytime we try to come to our true value and worth as a son or daughter of God, the enemy right away says, "Ah, you're thinking of yourself too highly. In other words, when we actually acknowledge the things God has put in us, the giftings, the passions, the desires, the abilities that we have, they're God-given, they're God-breathed, they're God-blessed. But sometimes when we start to lean into those things and and we recognize, hey, I think I have an ability to do this, or I think I I have a heart to do this, I have a passion for this, sometimes that voice in the back of our head says, ah, don't get prideful. So how highly ought we to think about ourselves? Paul is writing this in chapter 12, He just spent several chapters talking about how we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, that we are children adopted into the family, that we cry out, Father, Abba, that we are children, that we're family, that we belong to the family of God. And then he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. So the enemy doesn't care if you're stuck in pride and arrogance and you're up here and putting yourself above everybody. And he doesn't care if you're down here, I'm just a worm. I'm worthless. I don't have any value. He doesn't care which extreme you stop in. He doesn't want you in the center of God's grace and love. He doesn't want you in the center of God's heart. I would propose to you today that you need to know you are deeply, deeply valued. That's why the cross, the blood of Jesus, the life of the son of the living God was the purchase price of you being in a relationship with God. That's how much he valued you. How do you go from being valued like that by the creator of the universe and then turn into a place of low self-esteem and self-hatred and, well, I'm not really worth anything and I can't do much. It keeps us from really excelling in the things God has called us to do because we feel like, well, there's nothing I can do. Well, Jesus said, all things are possible with God. 
Jesus constantly and consistently called people up out of where they were into places they didn't think that they could go. You know, all of the apostles were amazed at what he was calling them to do. They're like, I, I don't know how to do that. I, I'm a fisherman. You know, I'm a tax collector. I'm, you know, I'm a political activist. I don't know how to do what you're calling me to do, Jesus, but he called them anyway. And he knew what God had put in them. He knew what their abilities were, and he was calling them to come out into that. So I want us to, as we're talking about humility, when we talk about being sober judgment, thinking of ourselves with sober judgment, God, who have you made me to be? What abilities do I have? What passions have you put inside of me? What really makes me come alive? Because that is the place where the culture of heaven, the culture of Jesus is gonna be expressed through your life in a positive and a healthy way. Let's go on. For as in one body, verse four, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pause there again. Listen, humility helps me to understand I don't have to have the gifting that someone else has to bring value to the family, to the community, to the kingdom. I don't have to be as gifted and excel. Like, I, man, I wish I could sing like our worship team. I wish I had musical ability. I wish, there's a whole lot of things I wish I could do. I wish I could program computers. But somewhere my brain gets a cramp and I, I can't follow all the if, then, this, that, and it, it just doesn't, like I get lost. I get it, but I can't do it. Do you, do you have things like that? Like, are there things that fascinate you? And you're like, I get it. I don't know how to do that. Like I could see it, I understand it, but not enough to operate in it. Humility helps me understand that I can value what someone else brings without jealousy. I can value what someone else brings without feeling like, oh, well, I don't measure up to that, so I guess what I have to bring isn't really that worthwhile at all. That is what the enemy, he wants us caught up in comparison. He wants us to put our eyes on something else and say, well, I can never do that. What can you do? What did God put in you? We have different gifts according to the grace that God has given us. Paul just wrote it to us. He says, whatever gift God has given you, excel in that thing. Do it with zeal. Do it with purpose. Do it with passion. Let it come out because that's who God created you to be. Now, sometimes we need to lift our eyes and understand God has called us to do things we never thought we were able to do. Sometimes we need to break through that barrier of, oh, I can't do that. And God's like, yeah, you can. I made you. I know you. Like when Moses is standing in front of the burning bush and God is telling him, hey, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh and you're going to tell Pharaoh what's up and you're going to tell him the truth. and You're going to tell him to let my people go. And Moses is like, I, I can't talk. Like he may have had a stuttering problem. He may have had a lisp. He may have had a speech impediment. He may have had horrible stage fright. And he just, he can't talk in front of people. And God's like, I made your mouth. I know you, you can do this. But okay, if you're gonna use that excuse, I'm gonna send your brother Aaron. We'll let him talk since you're backing out of this part. God knows what you and I are capable of. He knows what he has put in you. So sometimes we need to break through the barrier of, and that's not a lack of humility. God, what are my gifts? What am I good at? What have you called me to? What do I need to learn? What do I need to pick up? What do I need to step up and rise up into? And sometimes we need to recognize, I will probably never be able to do that. And that's okay. And rejoice and be happy and value and admire what they bring. And we're not sitting here with jealousy or being dejected. And we're not sitting here letting our gift go to waste because we're not like someone else. We can get our eyes off of comparison when we can walk in humility. Let's go on, verse nine. 
Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Mm -hmm. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen, guys, humility is what empowers us to overcome evil with good. You cannot overcome evil if you lack humility. If, if you're on one of the ends of those spectrum, caught up in pride or caught up in self-hatred or, you know, self-deprecation, like I'm not worth, I have no value, I'm, I'm, val- I'm worthless. If you're at either end of that spectrum, you cannot overcome evil with good. And we look at the picture of humility, we understand that Jesus was the very picture of humility. When he was here on the earth, he gave us a picture of what humility looks like, and he showed us how to walk in humility. Matter of fact, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, he even told us, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Guys, lowly in heart means humble. That's what that phrase means. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, Jesus didn't lose his humility because he's standing in front of a group of people saying, guys, I'm humble. You can trust me. That wasn't a lack of humility. He was telling the truth. He was basically telling them, you can trust me. I'm safe. I will treat you gently. I will treat you humbly. You can come to this safe harbor and I will cover you. I will protect you. Sometimes people think that, you know, we joke about, you know, I'm proud about the fact that God has kept me humble all these years. And we don't have to come across in an arrogant way like that, but Jesus was basically telling people, I have come in a spirit of humility. And we, I don't think we understand what a big deal that is because it's a big deal because Jesus is God. And he came down as a man and he sat in poopy diapers and he lived at a time where there was no indoor plumbing and he washed people's feet that had been walking through camel dung. He came and lived a humble life and he was God. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In other words, Jesus was there at creation. When God said, let us make man in our image, it was the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit taking counsel among themselves. Jesus was there. And when he came to be born as a man, he stepped down off the throne of heaven. He emptied himself. He laid aside all of his glory, and he came to live a humble life so that you and I could have life, so that you and I could learn the culture of the kingdom, the culture of humility. Jesus was preeminent in all things. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created 
that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. That's who came down and lived this humble life. He even told us, look, guys, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. That was the humility that he walked in. He was God in the flesh, but he walked in a place of humility. As a matter of fact, he even told his disciples, he says, you know, the Gentiles, you know, their rulers lord it over them. They exercise authority. They, they dictate. He goes, it's not to be that way among you. He goes, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, learn to serve everyone. Become the servant of all. Become the slave of all. Because that's what greatness is defined for in the kingdom. Humility defines greatness in the kingdom. Because humility tells me, hey, it's not all about me. It's all about him. And if it's all about him, God, what part do I play? What part do I play in bringing all to you, all glory, all honor, all love, all service, all faith? How do I go about that? And when my focus gets off of me and my focus gets onto him, I can walk in a place of humility that empowers me to live the Christian life. The problem is we get our eyes stuck so much on the things we're struggling with. My fears, my problems, my inadequacies, my challenges, my circumstances, my lack. And I'm not saying those aren't things we have to work through, wrestle through, and deal with. The problem is when they become the focus, Jesus has lost preeminence. And when Jesus maintains preeminence, humility is a guard for me to trust, God, you've got this. I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to trust in you. That even when enemies, when people spitefully use me, revile me, and curse me, as Paul said in Romans 12, I can bless them and not curse them. And I can overcome evil with good because I'm trusting in God, not my own ability, not my own worth, not my own identity. I'm trusting in him. He has preeminence. So humility really is a culture of power. It makes us more like Jesus. Do you think that when Jesus came, stepped off the throne of heaven and walked as a man on earth, that he was without power? Was he without authority? No, people marveled. Whenever he spoke, they're like, man, the scribes and Pharisees don't talk like this. Who is this man? He speaks with such authority. His words have such grace. Like, their minds were blown. And he wasn't out there dominating everybody. He was simply speaking truth from a sincere and transparent heart. Humility actually empowers us in every area of life. When we were first married and I was a young husband, I could not be wrong. As a matter of fact, I used to joke I got married because it had to be somebody's fault and it couldn't be my fault. Ha, 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 ha. There was a grain of truth in that because you asked my wife, when we first got married, whenever we had a difference of opinion or a discussion, I would make things up until I was right. There, there wasn't a place in my heart where I felt comfortable admitting fault or admitting wrong because something inside of me said, hey, if you admit your fault, you are done for. No one will ever respect you. They'll see you for the fraud that you are. They'll see you don't know what you're talking about you got nothing. And that was a lie from self-hatred. That was a lie from a, a low opinion I had of myself. So I had to act like I knew what I was doing and that I had all the answers. And the thing that I thought I was doing to protect my image, I was actually destroying my image because I had no humility. I had no ability to say, you're right, I'm sorry. I was wrong about that. Or I, I did wrong. Would you please forgive me? 
Humility empowers us to walk according to the heart of heaven and according to the power of God. Sometimes the most prideful, arrogant people you know are the most insecure. The people with the weakest identity, they're not secure in who they are. And so they put up this front like, I know it all. I can do it all. Let me tell you about that. Let me tell you about me. It's because they don't believe in themselves. They tell you how great they are because they don't believe in themselves. They're not so much talking to you as they're talking to them. Humility allows us to embrace the identity that God has given us. It makes us more like Jesus. In Philippians, Paul writes that, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he didn't consider it robbery or something to be grasped or drawn to him to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus walked in such a place of humility, even in the garden when he's telling his father, God, God, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there's a plan B, if there's some other thing we could do, I don't want to do this because he was human. He was a man. He came as a man. He didn't want to face the agony of the cross. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And I think sometimes we struggle with humility because we are not caught up in finding with ruthless zeal the will of God. We have agendas like impatience. Impatience is an agenda of don't get in my way, don't slow me down, don't stop me. I need to get this thing done. Why? Why is that so important to you right now? When you get on the road, why do you need to be in front of that car? Why, when your children come and they they need you for something and you're like, I I don't have time for you because you're so burdened and worried and cared about the things that you've got to get to, you can't deal with other people's problems. Humility helps us to stop. Okay, it's not a race. I don't have to, you know, if I don't get it done today, I'll pick it up tomorrow. What can I help you with? What do you need? What's going on? Humility helps us to slow down and posture our heart to care about others. Because what happens when we don't care about what others have going on in their lives, because we have the weight of everything going on in our lives, we have put our agenda above the agenda of heaven. And you'll see this in ministry. You'll see people working in ministry. They're so weighted down by the burdens of stuff I got to get done in ministry. They don't have time for the people. I don't have time to listen to what's going on in your life, to pray with you, to care with you, to encourage you. Because humility has been set aside for the goal. God never wants us to set aside humility to serve him. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I grew up in church and and I would hear speakers talk and it was like, um, they knew it all, could do it all. They'd seen everything like they were Jesus Jr., and, and they spoke that way, and they'd tell you about themselves. They'd tell you about this marvelous ministry that, that God has blessed them to be able to build. And it was like, wait a minute. And sometimes when you meet people in person, you can kind of tell if there's humility there or not. What's amazing is when you, there's a fantastic, amazing, gifted person, a singer or a speaker, or they, they can do amazing things. And when you meet them in person, it's like you're the only person in the room, and they're just talking to you, and they're glad to see you. It's not that they don't have time for you. It's not that they're so busy and so important. Humility 
is so attractive. Humility is beautiful. And the humility that Jesus walked in attracted multitudes because he brought the heart of heaven down in a humble and genuine way, and he offered it to people. Humility also opens the door to God's grace. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7 says, Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Listen, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Do you see how Peter connected anxiety with humility? Do you know that when you and I are caught up in anxiety and fear and worry and stress, we're in a place of a lack of humility? Because we think, I have got to make something happen. This is all on me. This is all up to me. And we have taken onto ourselves some things only God can carry. But when we humble ourselves under God's hand, when we're like, okay, God, this is like worrying me. This is weighing on me. This is a problem for me. I don't know what to do about this. I'm not sure I can do anything about this. I'm going to give this to you, and I'm going to humble myself under your hand, and I'm going to give you my anxieties and fear. Because worry is worship at the wrong altar. When I'm stuck in worry and anxiety, I am worshiping what fear is prophesying to me. When fear jumps out of the closet and says, boo, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, we can't bear bills. Oh, my gosh, we're going to get sick. Oh, my gosh, we like." The, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. You ever had that happen in your life? Where just one thing after another, all these possibilities are going through your mind in a split second, and you're like, ah! Because there's not a solution right now in front of you. Like, you don't have a tool in your hand to deal with this thing right now. Humility. Humility is the solution. God, I recognize I'm in situations and circumstances that are over my head. My heart feels overwhelmed right now. So I'm going to come to you because you've got all the answers. When I don't have the answers, you've got all the answers. Every time we have people come to sit with us in heart freedom, we tell them somewhere towards the beginning, look, we don't have any of your answers. It's really encouraging that they spent the time to come sit with us for heart counseling and healing, and we tell them, I don't have any answers for you. But God has all your answers. And together, we're going to ask Father God, what are the answers for your life and your situation? A posture of humility opens the door to God's grace. There is great power in humility. Because when you and I take ourselves out of the place of, hey, I got to figure this out, I got to solve this, and we step back and we say, God, I don't know what to do with that. Could you give me some instruction? That's a place of humility that releases the power of heaven into your circumstance and situation. Maybe in your marriage, you need to step back in humility and allow God to speak into the places you continually get stuck. I mean, I I don't know about your marriage, but I've seen marriages where the same thing keeps coming up over and over again. Oh, it might not be every day. Maybe every other month or so. Maybe every year you come to these places where you kind of get stuck on the same things. There's a place of disagreement. There's a place of discord. There's a place of hurt and struggle. And you just rehearse the same arguments. Am I alone in this? Have you nobody else experienced that? A couple of us are honest. (laughs) when we hit those places and we're like, ah, how are we here again? I don't know what's going on. Step back in humility and say, okay, something's going on here. 
either I'm not understanding your heart or I feel like you're not understanding my heart. I'm going to step back. I'm going to get humble. God, we need your direction. We need your guidance. We need your input in this because we obviously, the two of us aren't coming up with a solution that is helping us to step forward. And that humility releases power because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the power of grace is what allowed Jesus to face the cross. The power of grace is what rose Jesus from the dead in the grave. Humility opens the door to God's grace in our lives, God's power. When Jesus confronted the the Pharisees and the scribes, some would say that that looked like a lack of humility. And I want you to think about every time, because Jesus faced a lot of their attacks with, he just would ask a question. They would come to him and they would postulate this, this crazy false question, and what do you have to say about that? And he would ask them a question. I don't ever see Jesus being flippant or cavalier, but I feel like he was transparent and honest. Well, what about this? What do you say about that? And sometimes he spoke legitimate truth. And if you think about the times where he really nailed the Pharisees when he called them whitewashed sepulchers, full of dead men's bones, serpents, the spirit in which he came was one of they were abusing God's people and putting weights and burdens on them and making them jump through hoops and manipulating them. And Jesus was coming against that spirit of slavery and oppression and saying, you guys are operating in something that is crushing the people of God. This is not the heart of heaven. So it wasn't his agenda. He wasn't trying to win an argument against the Pharisees. He was bringing the heart of heaven against an untruth and an injustice that they had perpetrated. When Jesus was flipping over tables and chasing people with whips in the temple, he wasn't trying to establish his dominance over the temple. He was coming against injustice. He didn't lose his humility because he cleansed the temple, the house of God. Because it was in the Father's heart that people would come to the temple where they would worship God and prove their sacrifices, and it would be a place of safety, of comfort, of healing, of repentance, of forgiveness, of connection. But what had happened was the people in charge said, oh, yeah, you brought this lamb to sacrifice, but mm, see, ah, I think I found a blemish on your lamb. So we've got some spotless lambs over here that we can sell to you at a great price today only. So, yeah, sorry, your lamb won't work, but you got to buy one of these lambs. Or if they came from a foreign land and they had, they had currency that wasn't the currency of Jerusalem, they would say, hey, you're going to have to exchange that currency for uh, the temple coin, and uh, we're going to give you a good rate on that exchange. They were ripping people off. And when Jesus showed up to cleanse the temple, he was coming against injustice. He was coming against corruption, and it wasn't because he had a lack of humility. He did that in humility. So listen, there are times where you can act forcefully to protect, to bring justice, especially if you're a judge or if you're a policeman or if you're in a position of authority, if you're a leader or a parent, you can bring justice and you don't have to step out of humility to do it. If I don't understand that, if I don't believe that, I will feel like I got wild-eyed and crazy to get my will accomplished. Like when my kids won't listen to me, you're like, okay, you want me to get crazy? Because you can have crazy, Dad, right now. That's because I don't believe that I can remain in humility and say, I'm sorry, I have to do this. I know, some of you don't relate to that. I grew up with that. 
You don't have to lose your humility to bring truth, to bring justice, to bring confrontation. Some of the scariest conversations I've ever been in where people, they didn't get loud, they didn't shout, they weren't rude, they weren't mean, they were very calm and very quiet, but they were very direct and firm and even humble. But they weren't going to back off of truth. It's like I had no response for that. I would rather you get crazy and then we could start a shouting match because then, you know, we could, the truth would get lost in the mess. But when we maintain, when we maintain a posture of humility, we can forward the culture of the kingdom. We can bring truth into people's lives and we can further the heart of heaven in people's circumstances and situations. Final thing I want us to understand this morning is that humility looks like love. Humility looks like love. Listen, when Jesus said, I am meek and lowly of heart, I am gentle, he wasn't telling people I'm weak because Jesus was not weak in any sense. See, if you don't have strength, you can't be gentle because gentleness is strength under control. But if you don't have strength, you're just weak. You don't have any strength. But if you're gentle, that means I'm taking the strength that I have and I'm, I'm adjusting that strength to not crush, to not wound, to not hurt, to not oppress I'm using my strength in love, and that's what humility does. Meekness is not weakness. It's a choice that I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be loving. I'm, I'm going to show the strength of love in a different way. It's a culture that is counter the culture of the world. And that's why a lot of times it's not attractive to us because we're so enamored by the people in the world that will stand up and that, you know, they'll, they'll get it done. They're just going to say it like it is. Well, you can say it like it is without being cutting, hurtful, harsh, cursing. You can speak truth in power if you speak truth in love. Humility looks like love. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. It thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Guys, that's a picture of humility. That's what humility looks like. Humility allows me to step into my true identity. So when I have a lack of humility that I'm searching, 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 what, what will fit? What, where will I be the most safe? Where will I be the most accepted? Where, uh, where will I, what kind of identity can I walk in that will get me the things that I think that I want? But if I'm willing to walk in humility, it's like, God, you get to define me. You get to tell me who I am, what I'm here for, what's my purpose, where am I going, what's, what's the point of this? God, you get to define it. And it, it doesn't matter what other people say. It doesn't matter what names they call. It doesn't matter what aspersions they cast. It doesn't matter how they feel about me. You know, humility allows me to not carry the weight of other people's opinions. You, you realize that? When I have a lack of humility, it really matters to me that they don't like me. Joyce Meyer had a saying when she said that 10% of people on the planet are just not going to like you just because. And there's nothing you can do about it. But if I have a lack of humility, I need to know, why. how could you not like me? I'm so likable. And it'll eat at me and it'll, it'll, it'll rob me of my identity. But humility explains to me, hey, this is more about them than it is about me. If they want to be an adversary and I'm not presenting myself as an adversary, like they, they have a problem with me, this shows more of what's going on in their heart, not in a place of judgment, but I recognize there's something going on in their heart. This really isn't about who I am. 
Humility allows me to step into a place where, hey, I will try to reconcile with you, but if you're just going to be mad, God bless you, I love you, and I can, I can step back and let it go. I don't have to win every time. I can release and not carry the burden of that. Humility allows me to step into reconciliation. One of the most beautiful things that God has brought us to, because I grew up, I grew up in a Christian culture and a Christian tradition where um, you define people by their sin. Oh, you're a liar. Oh, you're an adulterer. Oh, you're an alcoholic. We define people by the sin that they were wrestling with or had been overtaken by. But when God explained the difference between what people do and who people are, I mean, it doesn't seem that complicated, but for some reason it took me a few years to figure it out. Humility allows us to look at people who are struggling in an area and say, that is a beloved son, that is a beloved daughter of God, and the enemy is trying to overtake them in that area. And we can separate them from the sin that they're struggling with. And we can love that little boy and we can love that little girl and we can pray for them and we can contend for them without judging, dismissing, hating, resenting, breaking relationship. Humility allows us to walk in the heart of heaven, guys. Humility allows us to recognize if someone does have something against us, we can stop and go, maybe I was wrong. It allows us to entertain the possibility, maybe I did something that was offensive to you. I'm so sorry, would you forgive me? And reconciliation can happen. And even if they won't forgive us, it's like, okay, I've owned my part. I I see what you're saying. You're right. I I didn't want to make you feel that way. I won't do that again. You know, I'm really going to try not to make you feel those things. And I can go on about my life, and I can be whole, and I can be happy, and I can be at peace, and I don't have to carry the weight of this offense that others are carrying. Humility is a doorway to freedom. Humility allows us to walk like Jesus. Humility allows us to create the culture of the kingdom here on earth. And one of the things that I hope is people come and they come, become a part of the mountain, they walk in community with us here, I hope they can really, really feel the foundation of love and humility that we try to build everything we do on. There's no agenda here. One of the things I love about Samuel when I first met him, I was getting to know him, was I'm used to people in leadership, pastors. I I used to be one. I'm a recovering pastor. I'm used to pastors having an agenda that when you thwart that agenda or you don't go along with a program, they get all kind of either manipulative and controlling or they get all kinds of upset with you because you're not following God's plan. God's given me the plan. you got to follow the plan. Times I've looked Sam in the eye and said, no, I'm sorry, I won't be able to do that. And he's like, okay. And nothing in his eyes, no disappointment, no, no frustration, no, okay. He held with such an open hand, such an open hand. That's what Jesus did when he was here on earth. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. So Jesus didn't have to get all uptight about things because he was just following God's plan. He was just following God's plan. God, what do you want me to do today? Oh, we're going over here. We got to go do this. Oh, we're going to stop here because this person needs something. Oh, Lazarus died. Okay, well, let's go perform the will of God in Lazarus, Mary, and Martha's life. He was so at peace because he walked with a heart of humility. Today, I want to ask you, I want to ask you to do an introspection. I want to ask you to look for the places in your life where you lack peace, where you feel like you lack power, where you feel like you lack purpose. It is very, very possible it's because of a lack of humility. And I'm not saying it's because you're a prideful person. I'm saying it's because we have a misunderstanding of what humility is and the power 
that lies in humility. And I want to invite you today, God, am I struggling here because I'm not able to humble myself under your hand and trust you with this crisis or problem or person or relationship? 